It's time for the Retire ASAP Podcast. Here's your host, Taylor Fike. Welcome to the Retire ASAP Show. My name is Taylor Fike, and I'm here with Brad. Brad Fike. Yes, that's me. He is back. Now, our goal here on the show is to help you get free from work as soon as possible. Now, Brad, you were gone our last show, which was, what, two weeks ago. I'm telling you what, I've gotten some really good feedback. They want Tori to come back on and take your spot. Well, she's much prettier than I am, but but you can't see her. There's no visual here. How could anybody not want me on this show? I don't understand. I'm not going to lie. This morning, I left the house, and I said, hey, i got to go into the office to record our, our show. And Tori goes, wait without me and i said well i thought you were a one-time guest she goes maybe i should go record with brad and then we can see out of the three of us who they miss the most when they're gone oh we're starting a competition you know one thing about the fight family is somehow we always find competitiveness in everything that we do we have to compete even in the podcast guest spot i mean it's just crazy That's so ridiculous Anyway, you guys will probably get to hear Tori again when she comes back on here. I, she has lots of little wisdom nuggets that have always surprised me in the financial world where she just has this insight that I completely am blind to. So it's always good to have a little bit of outside insight on that. So we'll have her in here another time for a different topic. But for now, you're stuck with just the two of us. And it's glorious, I'm sure. You guys are excited today, probably pumped up to hear both of us talking again together on this. Woo! All right, last episode was a little bit of a one-off with Tori, but now we're going to get back into what we were talking about before. And if you kind of forget a little bit about that, you can always go back and listen to our previous episodes. If you have the Apple Podcast app, or you can get that in the Google Play Store or on Spotify, you can go back and listen to previous episodes. They're archived for... All of eternity, I think. I, don't, I actually don't know how long they're archived Possibly, for. yes. Digital footprint. Nothing ever goes away on the internet. So Until the earth explodes. The, these episodes are there forever if you ever want to go back, review one. But we actually start in a little bit of a series talking about homes, real estate, mortgages, things of that nature. Four weeks ago, we were just talking about different types of things in that world. So what we're going to be talking about here today, and this is going to be a really good one, should you own real estate in your investment portfolio? What do you think? Woo! I'm sure it's just an answer of yes or no, right, Brad? I'd like to own, well, oh, it is a yes or no. I was going to comment on that. Oh, go ahead. Well, I'd like to own like one of those skyscrapers. I feel like we need... I don't think in New York City, though, because they always have all the bad stuff happen. I want to own one in like a mediocre city, like Cleveland, where there's a lot of action. I can see it now. Fike Towers. I'm liking it. I'm I'm all about it. So I think maybe I should own... I think it should be at least 10 to 15 floors. 10 to 15 floors. Yeah. That's a pretty big building. What would you have in there? Who would be Who would be your... Oh, I'd have everybody. Celebrities. <laughs> Celebrities. I'd probably get Donald Trump in there. Oh, gosh. And call it Fight Towers. Fight Towers. I don't know if he'd move in or not, but I'm just thinking, you know. Be... I can hear him now. He, he'd probably have some bad things to say about because you'd be his real estate competition. He doesn't do well with competition. Oh, I could handle him. I'll take him on. Before we get too political here on this podcast, we'll avoid that conversation. But I didn't say one way or the other there. I'm just saying I'd be willing to take him on for Fike Towers versus Trump Towers. So real estate in your portfolio. Yes. Should we own it? Should we not? It's as easy as yes or no, right? So you're asking whether it should be a physical hard asset of real estate or own part of a company that invests in real estate. I was just trying to make this episode five minutes long so that we can just say, hey, own real estate or don't own real estate. It's that simple, isn't it? I cannot be non-technical. 
Of course not. The master of fact-finding, and I don't know if you've ever taken your Colby report. It's like a personality. No, it's not even a personality. It's about your instinctual way of how you do things and how you approach different situations. But anyway, there's one line that tells you whether you're a fact finder or not. And fact finders are the type of people who like to dig into the details, go deep, 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 deep. And I can only imagine what you guys think Brad's score is on that. I can tell you it's very high. He is the master of fact finding. He loves the details of all that stuff. I hate it too. Just drives me nuts because I just can't I can't buy anything. I can't make a decision on anything without thoroughly analyzing. And it just drives me nuts. I guess that's good news if he's your financial advisor, though, because that means he's looked at the inside, the out, upside down, all the way around of anything that he puts in a portfolio. He's very, very tedious, but it drives me nuts because when we try start yeah i am i like to make quick snap decisions and i don't it's not that i don't research things it's just i go with a little bit more of the general information and i try to work things along the way versus trying to make all of my get all my information up front before i make a decision and so the interesting thing though is when we try to make decisions in this office i have to just slow myself down i have to think okay this is going to take us weeks, maybe months before Brad is even going to get on board with something till he knows every stinking detail down to the name of the guy that works at this position of whatever place it is. I mean, he is, he's relentless. I guess that's a good thing though. You know what I can do now? I can answer your question. Okay. What's the answer to the well, question? Well, you want to know, should you have real estate in your investment portfolio? Yeah. And this is my opinion and my opinion only. So I'm not giving anybody advice. The answer is absolutely no. Oh, we got some we got some actual stances on this podcast. In most cases, we're like politicians on here. Our answer is almost always, it depends. But not today. Brad's taking a stance. No. Now, there is outliers. Oh, here we go. The answer is no, but you got that big B-U-T with only one T, of course. Big B-U-T that changes one the whole... <laughs> So here's where we're at. We're going to have this conversation because I kind of want to dig into that. There is some caveats, and I think we've had this conversation before the show started. And actually, we were supposed to start the show about 45 minutes ago, but as our conversation has continued to evolve into what the actual answer is, do I own real estate in my portfolio, we've dug into a different couple of things. And so the big answer, generally, no is what Brad says, but there are some different outliers in the middle of all this. Correct. So before we get too deep into this, because this is going to be one of those podcasts where people really need to listen to this disclaimer. We are not financial advisors on this podcast. We are financial advisors in real life, but you cannot take advice from us on this podcast because we don't know you. We're not talking specifically to any one of our listeners. The way this podcast works is we're just talking in general. We're talking about education, some tips, some ideas of what you can be doing to get yourself retired early, but we're not telling you to do anything. Don't go buy an investment or go and make an investment decision based off of this podcast. You need to talk to someone who is a professional. Now, you may be the professional of your own portfolio, and that's fine. You should definitely think about things before you make any decisions on this podcast. But I would really encourage you to talk to someone like a financial professional, like an advisor, a tax professional, or even an attorney, whoever you use to get your financial advice. Talk to them before any decisions. Because when we're talking about real estates and investments and portfolios, some things on here we may make a statement where you're like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. I need to do that. I'm going to tell you to pump the brakes. Don't jump on anything until you've had really good sound financial advice for your specific situation. Because we don't know your tax setup. 
We don't know your current portfolio setup. It may not be a good idea for you, even though it might be something that fits the general population. For you specifically, it might be different. So my disclaimer is, don't take our advice. That's it. That's all I have to say. Amen. Amen. All right. So real well, estate. Well, they could take our advice if they hire us. That's true. And we, we would be happy to be your advisor. There you go. We would ha- we'd be happy to be your advisor. You just got to give our office a call or if you're on our website, you can click the schedule now button in the top right corner. But until that moment comes, and even if that moment does come, don't take our advice on the podcast. Take our advice when we're meeting one-on-one. And I always tell people, if you don't hire us and take our advice, then I feel sorry for you. That's it. I mean, that's it's cut and dry. It's like it's you know, it's like walking in the dark with your eyes closed. It's just very dangerous world out there in the investment world. You need someone that's got a candle lit that can help walk alongside you. Okay, we're digressing in the competition again. This metaphor, I'm telling you, I'm just not sure if it's gonna. (laughs) Anyway, real estate. Let's talk about it. Uh, We're getting we are divulging or diverting. I don't know what that the D word I'm thinking is, but real estate. So let's talk about it in two pieces because I think there's two ways to really look at real estate. The one way to look at real estate is, do I own it in my investment portfolio? And I think of this as some sort of mutual fund that holds real estate or some sort of real estate investment trust. They call them REITs. Do I own that for my retirement portfolio? And then the other way to think about real estate is, do I own the hard asset? Do I own a property that I use for rentals? Or do I own a building that I rent out to other businesses? Whatever that is. Did I buy that myself that I manage myself? Or am I buying something in my portfolio? So I'm going to start off with the first one being, do I own it in my portfolio? Do I buy the funds? Where am I at on that one? So I'm going to toss that to you, Brad. So that's a should I, right? Should I own it or do I? So should I? We're going to go with should I. Should Should, I own it in my portfolio? Well, there's a couple different viewpoints there. So one is uh, I think we need to back up and define what real estate in a mutual fund and real estate in a REIT, which is a real estate investment trust, R-E-I-T, which are sold when interest rates are lower because they pay a dividend, usually higher than you get in a lot of other things. But there's a lot of downside to REITs, and there's pluses to REITs. We do not do REITs here, so that'll tell you where my feelings are for a REIT. But when you you buy a REIT, you're buying a share of a property. So let's say there's a strip mall going up, and they need to raise capital for that strip mall. And I don't have the millions of dollars it takes to build that strip mall, but I have, you know, X amount of dollars, 10,000, 50,000, 20,000, whatever the number is. But I want to have a piece of action in my uh, portfolio that owns that hard asset. So you own an actual piece of that shopping center. Okay. So through a corporation usually, and it's the way that we won't go deep into how it's all set up. So a REIT is I'm actually owning a piece of that property. And then I get a dividend each year, and uh, that's how I make money on that. And then if you have a mutual fund that holds real estate, in most cases, it's not the physical asset of the real estate. I own a company, a stock. Normally, it's a stock of a company that invests in real estate, okay? A public company. Just like a public company, if I buy Frito-Lay stock, I'm owning stock of a company that has snacks and beverages and things of that sort. I'm owning stock in a real estate company that has maybe lots and lots and lots of properties. I'm just owning the stock of that corporation versus a REIT where I'm actually owning a piece of that property. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense to me. So our listeners are probably going, okay, that sort of makes sense, but what does that matter to me? So here's my question to you. 
say we have those pieces in our portfolio, what would be the purpose of having a real estate mutual fund or a real estate investment trust? What are we trying to accomplish? What are most people trying to accomplish when they add that to their portfolio? Diversification. So then, so in most cases, that's what the advisor will say. We're going to diversify your portfolio in the real estate. So when the stock market goes down, then you have real estate, which is going to hold your portfolio. But there's no real proof that real estate is a true diversifier in a well diversified portfolio. If you look at it academically, if you go back to academic study, they're going to tell you that that's not really a great diversifier. So in this case, if we can just boil this question down to the simplest piece, the question is, should I own real estate? Well, the question is, does real estate diversify my portfolio more? Does it give me a benefit at a certain time in the markets? Whether Does it benefit me when markets are up or markets are down? Does it give me some sort of benefit that makes it worth me having that compared to other things? And what would your answer be on that? I would say there has been time historically where it has happened, but let's just use 2008, major recession, what failed, everything, and real estate. Right. And so if you're using it as a true diversifier, what good did it do you in 08? Not really much. In fact, a lot of times, uh, some of those REITs didn't come back because properties went bankrupt. Mm. So I say it has too much volatility or higher risk and it isn't a great diversifier. Okay, and when that's we com- just my opinion. And when we compare this stuff, we looked up some numbers here beforehand. When you compare the returns of a real estate mutual fund or a REIT historically over the last 100 years, let's say, since you know 1928 or so, stocks have outperformed real estate significantly. It's not, it's not even close. It's not like a 1% difference. It's, it's a significant difference between the two. And yet we still have a good chunk of volatility within those real estate investments. So you go, well, if I'm looking for a higher risk, higher return investment, I shouldn't spend my time on real estate in my portfolio. I should really be looking at getting into stocks or equities and looking at those types of things and investments. The S&P 500 has a lot of different companies of being a part of it, or even some of the small cap companies have part of that, of being a part of that diversification. So really, if that's the case, if we're getting higher returns with stocks and real estate's a little bit lower return, does it make a whole lot of sense to have it in there? I mean, does it does real estate have a downside protection piece or is there another th- piece of the puzzle that may have a little bit better downside protection for a portfolio, I guess is where I'm getting on this. Well, downside volatility of real estate is probably less than what stocks would be. Right. Right? So coronavirus probably didn't drop the value of real estate property like stocks dropped. Well, in, consider, in March. considering I bought a house about two months ago for the price that is highest in history on this house, I'm pretty sure you're right. Coronavirus did not take a huge hit on the real estate, at least the residential real estate market. But I don't think there's any correlation to what's going on in the market uh, or what goes on with real estate valuations. It's just, I think it's, you know, if you're going to invest in real estate, I think you need to do it as a professional. I need to be a a full-time professional in that if we're talking for investment purposes. Mm -hmm. The average Joe, why would you ever do it when you can do it? Have a better long-term return in stocks and a bond portfolio mix. You need both. Right. Because REITs, if if we go back to REITs for a second, what's the point of a REIT? Well, it's going to pay me a high dividend to give me a income, a general income coming out of that REIT. But there's risk to that. Why don't I just go to a bond fund? and have it diversified with some stocks. And if I do it right, I'm going to have less volatility or less risk 
and have still as good, if not better, return. Now, I'm just going by past history. doesn't mean the future is going to be that way. But if you look at the statistics over the last 50 to 75 years, and I'm not just talking five years or 10 years, you can't look at that if you're going to do a portfolio properly. I'm looking long term, you would be better off in stocks and bonds. My opinion, based on what I have found during my fact-finding studies course and again we can go into all these details and, and we can see that there are certain outliers in all this you know there are bad stock mutual funds and there's bad bond mutual funds and there's bad REITs out there and there's great REITs and, and there's, there's great, great real estate opportunities there's guys who have become multi 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 billionaires in real estate okay so sure. but you got to remember, it's not just a casual investment for the average guy who you don't want to put all your eggs in that basket unless you know that industry and you want to work in that industry on a full-time basis and understand it. Now, we're talking about the investment side. We're not talking about owning the hard real estate because we haven't got to that yet. Right. Or if I want to own a rental property or not. We're talking about this as an investment in your portfolio. And in most cases, and this is something that a lot of people miss out on and, and kind of miss the idea of, a lot of the companies you may own in your stock portfolio, let's say in your S&P 500 fund or in your you know Russell 2000 fund, whatever fund you have in there, you may have some of those companies that actually own real estate as the company because they have a physical location that has whatever on their, that on their balance sheet, or they may be a real estate investment company. You were talking a little bit about this because this is something that's really interesting. So what happens if I have like a, uh, I'm trying to think of what company would be like a Berkshire Hathaway type company that they are a real estate investment style company. Their whole business is around buying and selling real estate to make a profit. What's the difference of owning a company like that versus owning a real estate mutual fund or a real estate investment trust. Does that question make sense to you? Well, I think one, let, let's put it in this perspective. This is a little easier to visualize. We're not gold people here. So buying the hard asset of gold, all right? I've never been a real believer. If you look at historic returns of gold, it's like about 4%, something like that, all the way back to the early 1900s. It's high as high volatility compared to stocks. And that's probably half the return of what stocks did over a long period of time, right? Right. So, but in our portfolios, we own companies that mine the gold. Okay. So, I would rather own, so I'm buying a share of stock in a company that I'm not buying a piece or an ounce of gold. I'm buying a stock that the company that, you know, mines the gold. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So real estate, I look at the same way. Why do I go buy the hard real estate? When I can own the company that specializes, I'm a share of stock in that company, and they're doing all the buying and selling of real estate, I don't have any ownership in that real estate. Right. To me, that makes more sense for the average investor than to actually own the hard asset as an investment in my investment portfolio. Right. See, I'm trying to make this clear. If we're talking about strictly in our portfolio, not if we want to have a side gig where we own property and have some rental properties in the neighborhood and we're drawing a little income. Is that, that is that a little clearer, maybe? Yeah, that does make sense. So instead of looking at the actual commodity or the asset of real estate or gold, we're investing in someone who's made a business out of that commodity that's or correct. asset. And that's a different game. More consistent returns out of that. Exactly. That's a different game because we are now betting on the expertise of the people who their livelihood is tied to it. That's a different style than betting on the actual real estate property itself. And so, 
again, we get into a lot of complexities here, and there's even more detail below the surface of all these of different investments and companies and all that stuff. We don't we don't go real deep in that in our podcast, but really what we wanted to touch on in this idea here is that in your portfolio, there's not a massive, massive benefit for diversification of having real estate. So you might as well spend more of your time investing in either equities or in bonds or fixed income, looking at those two sides of the fence and saying, how do I find a good balance between those two things? Because that's going to give you a little bit better style of diversification to get drilled down into what your actual financial goals are. And that's the biggest thing here, right? And we've talked about this on this podcast before. We can get down into the nitty gritty details of a portfolio, but if the portfolio isn't set up to reach the goals that you have for retirement, who cares? Who cares about the minute details? If we're missing, if we're missing the forest for the trees, that's not, we're not accomplishing our, our major goals here. And so anyway, portfolio wise, not the greatest idea to have some real estate. But we did have this conversation about what about owning rental properties? So let's dive into that one. Does it make sense to own rental properties? So that's a different world now, right? I mean, if we're talking investment portfolio for retirement or whatever it's for, then you look at, okay, do I want to own rental properties for income and for a future retirement plan? I've had people in here before that own multiple properties, drawn an income off of them. And it truly, in my mind, it truly has to be a hobby because you're either going to hire a professional to manage them, which is going to take a huge cut out of the returns, or you're spending a lot of time maintaining them and making sure they're rented, make sure they're painted. Somebody moves out. There's always going to be turnover. Most cases, not always. Most cases, there's lots of turnover. So it's a lot of work and it has to be something that you enjoy doing. Can you make money doing it? Yes. Would I put all my eggs in that basket? Absolutely not. But it is something that you could do on the side. Right. And I just worked with a couple who is big into this rental property lifestyle. They have 10, 12 different rental properties, and they're not highly expensive properties. Most of them range somewhere between, you know, a value of probably 50,000 to 120,000. So we're not looking at like these high end apartment complexes. We're looking at just regular old small houses or mobile homes or something in our area. We're a rural community, so there's a lot of that stuff around here. But we're looking at those types of things. And they have a beautiful portfolio set up where they're probably making close to $75,000 a year. The only way that they can do something like that, though, is one of the spouses is full-time managing that. It's her full-time job to make sure that everything's taken care of with the tenants, that the properties are up to code with the, you know, the area. She's handling all the tax you know, ramifications, working on depreciation, all that. So she's handling all of it. She is a full-time real estate manager. Now, she would tell you, I'm a stay-at-home mom, but at the same time, that's not what she's doing. She's staying at home working on the real estate portfolio for them. And that generates a lot of income. I think this is the thing that I think the biggest benefit of having a rental property is when we're looking at retirement planning. It generates a solid stream of income that you can add into your your mix where we're saying, look, this is a lower risk. There's always risk associated with stuff. So there is risk of saying, what if we don't have a tenant filling the house? Or what if you know something breaks and we have to put in a large you know, financial investment into the furnace or something like that. There's always risk, but this is a much lower risk for a consistent stream of income type of investment, but it's not something that has a whole lot of liquidity to it either. If an emergency happens and you have to sell your $100,000 property, that's not always going to be the best case. You may have to sell it at a loss because you're in a hurry to get your money back out of it. It's only generating $500 a month or $1,000 a month or whatever it is. It's not going to get you that money 
quick like you would have you had an investment portfolio where you could take out a large chunk without any issues. So those are just a couple of things that I've kind of batted back and forth on whether or not this makes sense. Well, I think two issues that we haven't talked about yet in owning some rental properties personally is you should be a handyman or a handy woman because um, you're going to go broke paying contractors to fix everything. So most of the most successful guys that I know, and I have a client who probably has 90% of his assets in small rental properties, rental buildings, where they might have anywhere from five uh, four or five uh, units in a building up to 10, 15. But he's retired from the construction industry. He can do all the work himself, practically everything. Now, he may not want to be the furnace guy or the heating air guy but or electrician, but I'm assuming he probably does a fair amount of his own electrical work as well. So you need to have that experience, I think, to have a successful experience in that, doing that. Otherwise, you're paying a lot of money out. The second side of that coin was what you were talking about, like income coming off yeah, of it. Yeah, generating income. And liquidity. So the income generation is great as long as you have, you know, you're doing most of the work. Right. Okay, that's, that's the simplest thing to say. The liquidity issue is probably the biggest problem. It doesn't happen a lot, but it is an issue. And you have to remember liquidity at the point of time when there's a bad thing going on whether it's the industry or yourself or whatever it might be, you need to sell that property. It's a fire sale a lot of times. Mm -hmm. If somebody passes away, let's say the wife is doing all the work or the husband's doing all the work and one of them passes away, now all of a sudden the other one doesn't know what's going on, doesn't know how to do it. I got to get rid of these properties. I can't manage them. Well, guess what? I'm either going to auction them or I got to find a buyer and I might be in a hurry because I don't have cash flow or I don't have money. And now it's a fire sale. So I'm not going to get what the value of that property is actually worth. So that's a downside is the liquidity of it. And I would say estate planning too. We just worked with a family who the way that the estate was set up, that there was a property involved with it. And it was really interesting because the, you know, a couple of the kids in the family would like to keep the property. But then the other ones want to liquidate it and get the cash out of it and take their share of the property. So now you have this other conversation, and this is something that is really important for you to talk about with your estate planning attorney or your financial advisor and say, look, how are we going to split up my money after I'm gone? Because if I have five or six properties and only one of my kids wants those properties to manage them and the rest of them want to cash out of them, get their money, that can make a real big mess. And so a lot of times that requires some you know, complicated planning that if you don't do it ahead of time, you leave this big pile of mess for the kids to figure out between them. And it can put some risks between brothers and sisters or grandkids. Even when that's happening, I'm working with a, a kid who is a working with his uncle on inheriting a farm after their grandma passes. And so it's this really weird setup because the kid and the uncle want to keep the farm, but the other two, the other uncle and the other uh, aunt, they want to sell out their portion. But the uncle and the kid don't have the money to buy out their portion of it. They don't have the cash flow. So now they're trying to figure out, well, which pieces do we sell to make sure they can get their half and then we can keep our farm half. But selling pieces of it lowers the profits of the farm business. And so you have this huge, big mess that comes in with that if you don't have some good planning on the back end to make sure that everyone gets treated fairly after you're gone in an estate plan. Because if there's one thing I've ever seen, that puts a big rift between families is that when a parent or a grandparent dies and they didn't 
make very clear directions on how their stuff should be split up, that can really make some siblings hate each other. And I hate to see it because it can destroy a family. Sometimes it takes years to rebuild those relationships, if not an entire lifetime to rebuild them. And real estate can have that effect. An investment portfolio, a little bit easier to split up. That's just dollar value, dollar signs, and we're going to split it up evenly across the people. Real estate adds that complex level to that stuff too. It does. And it's the liquidity issue of it. In your case where you have five siblings, they're probably going to end up liquidating that at fire sale prices because now they're going to get angered with each other. Mm-hmm. And then, or he's going to, the one, if it's a he or she, is going to have to turn around and come up with a boatload of cash to buy all those properties, which is probably not realistic. And another thing I just came across, I had a person pass away and just her home and the contents Mm -hmm. of that home, 10% of her assets were going to the church. Hmm. It has now complicated things because the contents, the kids just wanted to give the contents out of the house and then sell the house. They have to go to the church and actually get permission to give the contents away because the church technically owns 10% of those contents. Wow. So it's now become complicated. Now the church has been good to work with them. And I'm not saying don't give your money to a church or any, not this would be true with any nonprofit. So you just got to think through that before you do that stuff. So this is, again, it's a liquidity issue and this, this is just her house. So it wasn't an investment, but still that's just a very simple case. So think if you had multiple properties and you pass away, it just becomes a liquidity issue. But anyway. Yeah. Well, liquidity is huge. And, and so that's going to be one of the downsides of real estate. But there are upsides. And like you Lots had said earlier, yeah. like, there's tax benefits to this. You can talk to your CPA about those with depreciation. And, and you know you can, you can harvest some losses out of certain properties. It's not always the most beneficial thing. But it is something that you can work through and kind of work your way into a really good tax situation. And there's people who strike gold. You know, you buy a property and don't realize it, and then all the way, all of a sudden, turn around for double or triple the the value of it down the road. Those types of things happen, but those are not normal for general purposes. You really got to think when you're owning the hard assets of real estate. You got to think, what is going to be my benefit of the income? Am I going to have to pay out more in expenses for these types of things? If I'm, you know, paying contractors or paying someone to manage these types of things, am I going to pay out more in expenses than I'm going to get in profits? And two, is the liquidity issue too big of an issue for me and my family? Will I need to make sure I have a real good defined estate plan after I'm gone so that my kids don't have to fight over, you know, which property is theirs or what pieces of the property belong to them? Just figuring all that out is very, very difficult. So Yeah, I think you have to do your research. You really, before you delve into it, it all sounds pretty. You're going to see ads, you see books, all this, how to become a millionaire through real estate. You know, just use common sense. Look, it's not for everybody. There is people that are doing it. It has to be, like I said earlier, a hobby to you. It has to be something that you enjoy. It's just like investing. If you want to do your own portfolio on your own, go do it if you enjoy doing it. Right. Most people don't. Most people don't want to spend their free time dealing with that. They want to enjoy their lives because that's not their hobby or their happy place. Mm-hmm. And then there's your people who you know, hire people to do everything. So they don't want to buy real estate because I don't want to deal with that. I want to have my happy places loafing or riding my motorcycle or camping, you know, things like that. So you got to identify where your happy place is. And if it is delving in real estate and having a hobby of buying properties and making money off of it, go for it. But you got to remember, think that through before you jump in. Yeah, it it is. It's a lot of work and it's a big commitment, but 
it can be a, a benefit to you. So here's here's how we'll end this podcast because the general answer is real estate in a portfolio, probably not. Maybe in some certain cases with your advisor's uh, a good sound plan with your advisor, that might make sense. But in most cases, you might as well just have a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds. It's going to give you your best bang for your buck when it comes to return. Now, on the other side, owning the hard real estate, just summarizing this, if you like it, do it. If you enjoy doing the maintenance, enjoy maintaining the house, enjoy flipping houses, whatever it is, do it. That's great. But make sure you're doing your research beforehand. If you don't like working on a house and you don't like all the details that come along with that, I wouldn't suggest you get into it because now you're going to get yourself in a place where you're going to be losing money or losing time that you thought you should be spending in other places. So I wouldn't spend too much time there. So those are kind of our general answers to this. Now you should really talk to your advisor. And if you don't have an advisor, we talked about this at the beginning of the show, you can always give us a call or you can schedule now. If you're on our website, fikeadvisors.com, you can click the schedule now button and you can set up a free consultation with us. We can talk on the phone for about 20, 30 minutes, hear about your situation. Doesn't cost you a dime. We can see if we can help you. If you have questions that we feel like we can answer, we'll make sure that we do our best to do that and we'll walk you through how our program works when we help people retire early. And we'd be happy to do that because we're taking on new clients right now. In the meantime, though, definitely talk to your advisor. If this is something you're interested in real estate, talk to them. See what they have to say. They may have some different ideas for you along the way. So our next show coming up here in a couple weeks because we do a show twice a month. So coming up here in a couple weeks, we'll be talking about a little bit more of this real estate stuff. we got one more episode that'll be talking about that. Definitely want to stick around. If you haven't subscribed to our podcast, you can do that on the Apple Podcast app or on Spotify or uh, Google Play. You can click the subscribe button. You get an automatic notification that our new episode is posted. So you don't have to worry about trying to track down when these come through or waiting for an email to come through. You get an automatic notification on your phone or whatever device you're using, your iPad. It's a great way to keep up with us on this stuff. And if you'd like, we'd be very happy to have you leave us a review that helps us get recognized on the store. We might pop up there at the top of the screen a little bit closer if we have a few more reviews. So would love to see that if you guys could give us a review. Five stars, hopefully. But I mean, I guess if... If our content isn't all that entertaining, don't give us five stars. But I feel oh, like give it five. I'm gonna guess they're gonna say we'll give you five stars if Tori comes back on. But oh, oh, you're killing me. I don't know. Anyway, we'd love to have a review. You can rate and review the podcast on any one of those platforms. We'd love to have that from you guys and get some feedback because we're always looking for more information of what you guys want to hear. So if you want to give us some feedback, you can do that in the review, or you can email either of us. My email is taylor at fikeadvisors.com, and his is brad at fikeadvisors.com. Let us know if you have some feedback, what you want to hear, if there's a topic you want us to cover. So anyway, I got closing some, statements. I got, yeah, I got a closing statement. Oh, boy. So since we're on a real estate subject today. Oh, yeah. My history, of course, has been experimenting with yoga. Yoga. Not financial oh, yoga, physical yoga. Oh, boy. So I'm going to compare real estate and yoga to close this out. This metaphor is going downhill quickly. So if you guys have jumped off the podcast, thanks for joining us. Here's what I say. If you don't know how or what you're doing in yoga, don't do it. If you don't know all the details about real estate before you get into it, don't do it. How's that? That's actually a pretty good one. So You're does, right. That's some big stuff. Right so does there. that mean you should or should not be doing yoga? I should not be doing yoga. I'm going to continue my quest for financial yoga. Financial yoga. Because I do know my at.
I know things about that side of the fence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that you might have heard a little bit of an edit in the podcast right there. And if you did, that's uh, all part of our wonderful editing team that handles all that stuff so that we don't say anything stupid on here. So anyway, thanks for joining us this week, guys. We'll be in touch with you uh, in the next couple of weeks with our next episode talking about real estate and mortgages and things of that nature. Really looking forward to that. Hope you guys are having a great summer so far. Uh, enjoying this good weather, and we'll talk to you soon. And for all you fishermen, tight lines. Tight lines. <laughs>